Welcome to Be A Life Well Lived. You are invited to listen to the stories of people who could easily be a neighbor, friend, or family member, but you haven't met them yet. You haven't heard their story. Be inspired by their passion to pursue their dreams and join me on a journey to discover those whose influence on our world is a quiet yet supportive presence. Let's learn from each other as we all create our individual path to have lives that are well lived. I just want to welcome everyone to the podcast. Today's guest is Josh Letourneau. I've known Josh for almost 15 years, and he is an engineer, and he's also done some acting, and we're going to talk about his career and the things that he's been able to do. Thanks for coming, Josh. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Tell me, Josh, are you a North Carolina guy, born and bred, or did you grow up somewhere else? No, actually, I am born in Foxborough, Massachusetts. I guess I'm actually uh, originally a New Englander. My family moved down to Maryland right after, so I was only in Massachusetts for about one year yeah. uh, when I was a little baby. My life was in Maryland, actually. Let's say uh, junior high, I guess part of elementary, junior high, and high school were all in Annapolis, Maryland. So that's pretty much most of my uh, middle life, I guess you can say. Is your family in the military? Because usually people in Annapolis are military families. A lot, a lot of my friends, uh, you know, parents were. But actually, I lived with my uh, dad and stepmom uh, for most of those years. And so uh, they, they worked for the government. Uh, you know, inter- interestingly enough, um, my dad worked for NASA for most of those years. Uh, we were at Goddard Space Flight Center, so he was actually a fire safety engineer, which was really kind of a cool job. I always uh, like to drive around and... Sort of had like a fire truck, which is sort of a, a vehicle with lights and sirens. Uh, so he just made sure, you know, on the on the campus, I guess, of the, the, the flight center that you know, all was well. Get, get going a few of those rides. So he was government. My stepmom, uh, she was actually deputy assistant secretary of labor uh, for the department. So she spent most of her time in Washington. So um, as they both did. And then my dad moved on to uh, work at the Department of Energy. Uh, in Washington, <clears throat> which which was really cool because uh, he actually worked on super fun sites, uh, part of the EPA sort of designated areas where they had a bunch of uh, nuclear waste dump sites. Uh, they kind of got onto a super fun site, and he would kind of make uh, make trips to try to figure out how to mitigate some of the some of the operations. And so it was pretty cool stuff. But that's kind of what the, you know. Eventually, I was just like, I want to get out of Maryland, uh, and uh, at that point, we came to North Carolina. Well, uh, D.C. Uh, area is all about the government in one way or another. So that's cool that they were involved in that. It was fun to be there. Uh, you know, my mom, uh, she lived in Georgetown. Uh, so that was really cool. I got to uh, yeah, basically saw her every other week. Pretty much uh, you could uh, walk to to the mall in the downtown uh, Smithsonian area in Washington. Uh, she was probably about a mile away. Uh, so I went on a lot of runs. Uh, when I was uh, in high school, um, all around the Washington area, so it was kind of fun to explore and not have to sort of be a tourist. Yeah. Uh, like people are that go around there. 
did that influence you when you were younger, being able to go to the museums and all the things that are in the D.C. area? I think so. I mean, so much culture, you know, so I got to see really uh, just a little bit of everything. So it's a big city, a ton of people. You know, the the schools I went to were really big. You know, so we saw a very diverse, I can meet a lot of diverse people. And I, I, I think that helps uh, you know, definitely shape up, you know, how things are later in life. Let it out. Um, yeah. As far as opposed to being in a small town, and just look at those experiences. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I thought my favorite museum was the Air and Space Museum, and uh, yeah, I think that that's sort of probably led me into you know, some sort of science degree, uh, you know, engineering, you know, that that path as, as opposed to like liberal arts. Well, I have to ask you, since your dad was working for NASA. Did you get any behind-the-scenes special tours to see some stuff or meet some astronauts when you were young? I, I, well, uh, the Goddard Space Flight Center where he worked, um, you know, it's not fancy. It's not a fancy place like Cape Canaveral, you know, the Kennedy Space Flight Center, yeah. or, or you know, Houston, you know, some of those, uh, some of those um, locations. But um, they controlled all the satellites actually from there, and a lot of communications with astronauts uh, from the space station and during a lot of the. Uh, uh, space shuttle missions, which is what was going on when I was there. But I do remember uh, one uh, one kind of crazy thing is was it was the Challenger explosion because uh, that was when he was working with NASA. And so uh, I had already, I guess, found out about it. Uh, but I remember when he came home that day, you know, coming from NASA, you can imagine the horror. You know, everybody had to kind of go through. and coming home and you, know, you can just see in his face that you know it had just happened. And so that, those are those during the, the weird times there. And that's probably the last space shuttle that. I think while he was working at NASA, that was even attempted to be put in space. Yeah. Um, I mean, I started up again, I think, later, but definitely he's been gone, so it's probably better. But, you know, I saw a lot of, uh, you know, fancy rooms, you know, where there's a lot of computers, really. Uh, it was fascinating, but it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't cool, like, you know, astronaut or astronaut. It really would have been cool. But that, I did want to go into Cape Canaveral and the, the Kennedy Space Flight Center, and that was, a, was crazy cool. I don't know how old you are, but I do. I remember when the Challenger exploded, and it really was very shocking thing because up until that point, we hadn't had a loss, I think, of that magnitude of our energy. Yeah, and so it really shocked everybody. It was a big thing at the time. I think it happened in the early to mid '80s, if I remember correct. <laughs> to go. Yeah, I'm 40. I'm 44. I want to say I was in elementary school, so yeah. it must have been like fifth grade, and so I guess it would have been 11, yeah. 30 some years ago. Uh, yeah. They usually have these, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40th anniversaries, and usually comes up, but it's, it's been a while since they talked about it. But you know, it was kind of fun though when I, uh, our daughter, when we kind of got together and watched the uh, the SpaceX launch. Um, yeah. I guess that was a few months ago, and that was that was kind of cool. We, I, we still have a, a little NASA helmet that my dad had. Yeah, that was kind of fun to see, kind of wearing as uh, as, as the, the rocket was launching. So that was, that was kind of cool. That's neat. That's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. You grew up in an area where large high school, large school system, met a lot of people, exposed to culture, and exposed to engineering. At what point did you decide? Hey, I really want to be an engineer, and this is this is what I want to do with my life. Well, my dad was a uh, structural engineer. Uh, what his degree was, and so uh, I, I probably was already thinking about you know engineering 
completing before I got to high school. So I had a pretty intense sort of science program, and you know, I think that kind of helped it along a little bit as far as choosing that path. Uh, some of the, the teachers there, uh, you know, kind of enjoyed them more than some of the other ones in the science, whether it was science, biology, physics, you know, some of those math, whatnot. I like those classes better. Kind of led me, uh, I think, to go the engineering route. You know, there's no good, good schools even in Maryland for engineering. I, I definitely want to get out of the state, so that's what led me to, to North Carolina State, Raleigh. Engineering is pretty much what you take when you go there. So it's just a matter of which subject, you know, which engineering to do. That is my uh, second year in college, probably when you start making decisions. What? I'm surprised. What? <laughs> well, I'm surprised you came this far south. I would have expected you would have gone to Virginia Tech or one of those schools at a little closer to home. My mom and stepdad, uh, his side of the family, we uh, for many years went to, to Nags Head, Dock Area, and the Outer Banks. Okay. We did these trips a lot, and uh, we even made some, some journeys down to the North Carolina mountains when I was younger. So I think the state, with, with the mountains and the ocean, you know, so uh, accessible. Um, yeah. I, I, I always kind of liked North Carolina. Um, I didn't have any interest in going any, any further south or really west. Um, but definitely not north. Virginia Tech, you know, or just the mountains, you know, nothing else. Yeah. I, I wanted uh, something that was you know, not one or the other. So I was in Raleigh, you know, North Carolina. The, I guess that kind of sold me when I visited uh, campus. So I applied, uh, and actually, as you say, it was not my uh, number one choice. Actually, the number one choice was a Coast Guard Academy. I did a lot of sailing. Uh, my dad had a sailboat. We know pretty frequently and being in Annapolis for a while, you know, you're near the water. So we had kayaks and canoes and stuff. So I did a lot of water activities. I always kinda of thought, you know, that'd be kind of a, a cool thing to be a part of as a Coast Guard. You know, not really military per se, but it's still kind of a service. That that college is up in New Haven, Connecticut, you know, so that would have been a much different deal. I applied, I even had uh, you know, some some pretty good reference uh, letters from some high ups in the military that I got from my stepdad and they didn't quite make it past the final round. You know, it, it all boiled down to numbers. Uh, a place like the Coast Guard Academy is actually harder to get into than the Naval Academy, which I was accustomed to a lot of buddies who went there and got accepted. You, you, had, you had to get a congressional nomination for the Naval Academy, but it's a much bigger place and they accept more people. The so Coast Guard Academy is really small. So I knew my, uh, I knew it was a long shot. It would have been, and it would have been, you know, done that and coming off the surgery right off the bat. That certainly wasn't going to be the list and something like that. So it's like, okay, well, let's go with the NC State then. Well, I had absolutely no idea that the Coast Guard Academy, it's that, I, I don't I don't know, should I say prestigious, but definitely competitive to get into. I didn't know that really either. Yeah, I didn't, I, mean, I, I knew it was a small school, you know, it's not as, I guess fancy, uh, maybe uh, you know, West Point and Naval Academy, but uh, you don't hear about it as much. Most people can tell you where their academy is. I didn't was up north until I started kind of researching and thinking about it. I don't know. I just uh, think sailing uh, when you're uh, going down, seeing these Coast Guard cutters, you know, go by, mm-hmm. uh, or the Coast Guard helicopters, uh, you know, flying by when you're laying on the beach. I always thought that was really cool. That would be awesome to be a Coast Guard pilot. Didn't quite work out though. Life would have been different. <laughs> That's interesting. I guess. Yeah, well, Wolfpack, so hey. 
Yeah, so you ended up you, you ended up in North Carolina, and it sounds like the mountains and the beach were a draw for you. You really enjoy that, and uh, got your degree. Ended up becoming a civil engineer. Yeah, did you do some internships when you were in college to kind of figure out exactly which? Because I don't know that most people realize it, but civil engineering has multiple disciplines within it. You have geotech, transportation. Um, drainage, sanitary sewer, soils. I mean, it covers a wide variety of disciplines. And so you have to usually which discipline that you want to focus on. Did you do some internships to help you make that decision? Well, my, my degree was environmental engineering, which uh, is a, you know, it parallels civil engineering for the most part until your maybe final semester. We focus maybe a little bit more on treatment facility design, landfill yeah. design, like that when some of the more civil engineers that uh, are a little more concrete design. But again, mostly just all in your last semester. So pretty much every, everybody in those two fields did the same thing, the same classes. So being an environmental, I, um, I went to co-op for a semester and for a summer. So I did the five-year plan uh, at NC State now. So basically I worked that whole semester, and then I went up doing the summer at this environmental firm in uh, RTP. They they specialize in air testing and um, mostly air testing, uh, and I guess a little bit of water testing. They had a big uh, Department of Defense contract, so we got to fly to various uh, bases, military bases around the country. What we did there actually was do a, a bunch of sampling of mostly Air Force bases. So we'd go out there, not on the tarmac, but you know, some of the holding facilities for the planes where they really washed. We actually sampled their um we call them like oil water separators that are that are drained to under um, those planes just because of all the grease that comes in before they're released into the storm drain system. So we actually would sample to figure out the amount of the oil content and other chemicals and nasty stuff that are in there. And they actually are going into the drain and going out into uh, the regular storm drain of a creek adjacent. So it was interesting. We had to do a bunch of reports on it. It was pretty hard work, you know, but it was interesting to kind of see these bases uh, and, and kind of doing it all while getting paid and, and while still in college. You know, so it's kind of it's kind of fun. That was the only uh, really the only job I had, I guess, that was related to engineering at all. So it gave me an idea of what the real world was like. I don't know if most people realize it, but when you have a a site like that, you have to test the water probably frequently. There's probably a time frame how often you do it just to make sure that what ends up in the creeks and ultimately drains to the lakes has a certain level percentage of contaminants that are in the water. So you guys were testing for contaminants. What a great job for college, though. Well, I, mean, I thought, yeah. you know, hmm, do I want to stay in Raleigh after I graduate uh, <laughs> and maybe do this as a, as a job? I don't, I don't think they were hiring at the time when I, when I got out. I graduated in 99. I I Honestly, it was difficult to fit me offers in the Raleigh area at that time. I went applying to a lot of places. Uh, I did get an offer at one firm. It was already, already after I accepted Armstrong going up in Charlotte, so and then the rest of the city, I guess, from Raleigh. And I left and never looked back. <laughs> well, you've been working at AG your whole career, then, right? 20 years, yeah. I, I guess it's about 20 years, a little bit more. 
So it's kind of crazy in a world where people tend to move around a lot. Yeah, it shocks people when I say I've been the same company for 20 years. It shocks my wife. <laughs> hop around a lot. Most other engineering you know, friends. It's, it's it's kind of a rare thing nowadays. But I, I find it to be kind of you know just comforting, I guess. You know, and I find it to be stressful to move around a lot. Yeah. Never really. Interest me to do. I mean, you can probably find more money doing it that way. There's something to be said about, you know, kind of the consistency, the same, same job. And you've become, uh, I would say, very specialized. You're very good at what you do, and and you've had time to learn the ins and outs and nuances of drainage design, and you're good at it. So if you're moving around all the time and job hopping, I think it's hard to become knowledgeable you don't get the time in to really learn the job yeah and in civil engineering you know it is do a lot of the same sort of stuff but every, you know every project is different you know so it's not an assembly line of, of stuff it's still a nice variety every project's a little bit different um yeah, so there's always those kind of challenges so it doesn't get too dull uh, yeah. sometimes with the length of what it takes to get a project done from beginning to end you know, is, the, probably the hardest part, <laughs> you know, it's not always immediate satisfaction of a project. Uh, and sometimes in this field, it just takes a long time for these things to, to get to the to a design point. And unlike maybe some other fields where you know, turn around a little faster and you can kind of see your, you know, what you've designed on paper and you've implemented in the field immediately. That's just you know, not how it is in engineering. No, and you've worked quite a bit on public sector projects, and they tend to have a much slower schedule, much slower pace than a private sector project, right? No, definitely. I, you know, I never have worked with the private sector. You know, it's uh, being with uh, with AG all these years, you know, we primarily pushes to a public municipal work. You know, a lot of friends who who have bounced around and with the different firms who specialize in. Private work, you know, they, they, they're a lot more stressed. It's yeah. a more stressful time, boring uh, field. And I, I feel also that in some engineers a lot worse because they were forced to do things so much faster. You know, it's, it's kind of what I've seen over, over the years. Yeah, yeah. Like really something I was, I was much interested in, I, I guess you could say. I think what you're talking about is um, sacrificing quality for profit and schedule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, there's more money to be made out there. Yeah. You're, 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 you really are assembly lining projects at that point, and you're just not, you're not really, you just don't have the luxury of checking your work frequently or doing you know, good design. Time is, time is money. So tell me how you got involved in, you know, the question I'm going to ask, how did you get involved in acting, Josh? What is up with that? <laughs> This is probably we started. I don't know when was the second season of Homeland. That uh, eight years ago, probably. You know, uh, I, I knew nothing about being a background or you know, an extra in a theater show. Never crossed my mind. You know, Homeland was. Uh, you know, I found out Homeland was being filmed in Charlotte, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, interesting show. Uh, you know, uh, let's watch it. You know, so I watched the first season. I was like, that. It's pretty cool. And then I saw, I think it was on Facebook, the open casting call, I think, for for season two of Homeland. I'm like, wow, the newest film in Charlotte, but I had no idea that they needed people 
or, or anything like that. I'm like, that, that sounds kind of, kind of interesting, kind of cool. Go to that casting hall months later, uh, shortly before the beginning of the summer for season two, uh, there was, I think, uh, as a Facebook post, I think another friend of mine was doing maybe some extra reading just on occasion, and uh, I think I saw their feed, the casting agent for Homeland. It was basically a public uh, sort of request on the Facebook page. They were, they were looking for um, you know, CIA you know, tech types to, to film this coming Thursday. It was. I was like, wow. I think I could kind of probably look into it. <laughs> so, I got to know what I was getting myself into, and uh, I think they said they needed two CIA agents for the filming. And uh, I just quickly uh, looked at the instructions. They're like, yeah, just a couple pictures, you know, your your height, your hair color, you know, some stats. Uh, have you done any? So I just sent the information to their email. And Ten minutes later, I got an email saying. Uh, <laughs> what, what was going to say? Uh, we, uh, we want we want to book you for the, this Thursday. I'm like, whoa! I didn't expect that to be so easy. Kind of freaking out. Like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to wear? And you know, eventually emails came, sets of clothes for them to pick from. And, and so that was really uh, the rest is history. Absolutely. I have to ask you some questions. Being an engineer, did you take what you typically wear to the office? On a daily basis, as an engineer, is your choices of clothes? The funny thing, especially uh, for the show Homeland, uh, they had a variety of characters. Uh, they had CIA techs, CIA analysts. They had sort of CIA agents, yeah. you know, who would be, and the, uh, the the analysts, you know, actually would be, you know, maybe a shirt and tie or whatever, and then. Uh, Tech, tech guys would be like maybe a college shirt. It's a whole sort of range, you know, depending on what they wanted for. Most, most people don't realize that engineers do have a uniform. It's a, <laughs> a sleeve button-down shirt with khaki pants or oh, yeah. blue jeans with a collared short sleeve shirt. For this particular kind of role, you know, so still to this day, you know, you, know, you have to bring a lot of that stuff up. Uh, you know, with you, I, uh, uh, you know, I've done it eight years, probably continuously now. This is probably right now the longest period of time I've not been exerting because of the of the virus. You know, everything shut down. Hollywood shut down. Georgia shut down. You know, South Carolina shut down. Those are a lot of places I went to, mostly in South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, that's where most of the shows really are are, um, are now. But uh, really, ever since that day, that first day of getting on set. Um, and what it wound up being is just me and one other CIA agent for the scene. Have you seen season two of Homeland by the Seen parts of it. I don't go into detail, but scene with the, the main star, uh, and the director told me, okay, this is, again, I've never done this before in my life. The director's like, okay, I walk into this office, pick up the file, and walk out of the office. <laughs> I'm like, all right. And it's rare as an extra, you're actually getting ordered by the director. Usually, as, as a, on a bigger scene, there's a lot of extras, you know, you're usually being corralled by TAs, you know, uh, production yeah. assistants. Uh, but you know, this is my first ever acting gig. Uh, the director himself was actually doing that. So, uh, the, one of the main characters was uh, trying to break into a safe in this office at the CIA. At the time, he wasn't, he was a bad guy, but they didn't think he was. Anyway, and so. Uh, it was just me and him in the office, and, I, and on the first take, I went in there, 
And I grabbed the folder, but the, there were some pens sitting on the folder. And as I pulled the folder out, the, the, the can holding the pens collapsed and fell on the floor. It was a huge noise. It was pretty quiet. And the director was like, cut, cut. reenacts what the actor did 
for the camera angle to get the sound right and go apply. I don't, I don't think the actors do all that mess to stand around doing, doing all the tedious parts of acting. And so the stand-in does all the all that work. And so and that's kind of fun. That's the fun part because you are you get to talk to the actual actor you're standing for. You know, you're right there on set. And you got the cinematographer and the director kind of making you sort of move around, like you know, you know, a couple steps to the left, a couple steps to the right, and then mark, you know, mark. You sometimes they want you to say a few things. You know, and they give us the script, you know, so we'll say part of the lines, you know, if they want, just get the the mics in the right spots. Really cool behind the scenes uh, to stand in. Not a lot of actors that were tall that day. I'm six two, so it's, it's amazing how. Uh, you know, the, the, the famous people are just nowhere near my height, you know, so. For a few people, I don't know. Do you do watch Stranger Things? Yes, I like that one. Uh, the, father, the father of uh, one of the kids, one of the you know, star kids, I can't forget, I forgot his name, but I, I, was, his, I was his stand-in on the show, uh, Mr. Mercedes. Okay. And uh, that, that's a Stephen King down in South Carolina, there's been three seasons. And I, I filmed in pretty much all those seasons. Usually that particular show, I'm, I'm a police officer. So I've been typecasting a bit in the extra world. Usually I'm a police officer nowadays. I mean, I, uh, if there's a need for police casting directors, like they need to police, almost always, you know, they'll, they'll book me. It's just really that easy. I, I have to turn them down and make a lot to do it, and I just can't because I get a full time job. So. Because most people are not filming in Charleston. Most people are not drive three hours in Charleston. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I've done Homeland, uh, I've done, I've done uh, Banshee, which was filmed down in Charleston, South Carolina. Recently, I did Righteous Chemistries. Uh, also, a stand in the Righteous Chemistries. That's, that's an HBO show in uh, Charleston as well. The closest I've actually gotten to a speaking role was the show Reprisal. That was also from Charleston. And that reprisal, I think, was on um, Hulu. I think that was a Hulu original. I was I was booked to be a crazy cult leader. And they, they told me, like, they want you to be the, the crazy cult leader. When I got to the set, and they, they said there was a good chance you'd be upgraded. Uh, so I got to the set. And then they told me, uh, well, either you or the guy that, that's going to get upgraded. And whoever does it just becomes a cult follower. And so, you know, the other guy, I mean, I looked at him like, damn, that guy looks crazy. <laughs> he, he had these glasses, he had this kind of crazy face, I'm like, he's perfect. That just pissed me off. Cause like, that was the closest I got to being up here. Uh, because uh, he, he first got up there, and he got to say some stuff, doing like a little sermon with the Bible, and like about six of us crazy cult followers, you know, and one time. It was really sketchy, but uh, it was a sketchy scene I, uh, when I look back at us. I got pretty good screen time, but it was definitely a sketchy scene. You know, the show did not get picked up uh, for a second season. Kind of somewhat popular, I guess, uh, but not the mainstream, I guess. It was crazy to be that close because of all the extra I've done, you know, I've never had set editing on, on camera. That's a whole different level because when that happens and the director wants you to, and that's special to a lot of people. Script director comes out with a contract, you have to you know, sign away. You automatically get bumped up to a day player rate, which is like 900 bucks. It's extra. You basically make minimum wage. Yeah. Um, as a stand-in, you make you make more money. You make like double that. It's not a it's not a lucrative business. And when I first signed up for Homeland, I didn't even know got to. Maybe so I'll form two forms. I'm like, 
why, why do I have to do this? Like, let's see if you can get paid. I'm like, really, how much do you get paid? How <laughs> <laughs> much? How much? I'm like, 70 bucks. 70 bucks. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. That wouldn't have mattered either way. I just want to get on TV. That's so funny. Well, let's talk about where engineering and acting intersected for you with uh, <laughs> with one of your so it's still Tinkerbell. You're working on drainage system in the neighborhood, and the house where they're filming Homeland is in the neighborhood where you're doing storm drainage yeah, project. Yeah. <laughs> Genius. Um, I believe. What are the um, odds of that happening, though? That that your life well, is. You know, I, I, you know, I never, they did a lot of exterior shots in front of that house. I mean, in season one, they actually filmed inside the house before they had a yeah. soundstage for it. Uh, so I've actually been in that house on soundstage, you know, for the Sunset Road before it was, course, all torn down. But um, I think when uh, we got the project, I had already been doing homeland work before we were given the project. And so once we were given the project, I was kind of looking, looking around and like, Looking at the area, looking at the you know the drainage area for this project, uh, and I was like, man, that that um, that street sounds sounds familiar. Uh, I did a little more research and some street view. I'm like, man, that is that is the street, that is the house. It's like that's that is so crazy. It is part of the project we were working on. Yeah. And a couple of times, I think one time we were out there, we did some production. They, they weren't filming at the time. As we drove up there, but they had parked a bunch of production trucks there, so we never actually got to watch any of the filming like any of the other people we were with. Don't get on set as often as I do. That was you know, much cooler than I thought. You know, maybe we do it so long as people kind of used to it. Uh, but yeah, that was a nice little, uh, nice little intersection. You know, uh, of, of my real job, day job, to, to, the, to the hobby job. I'm really only able to probably do this uh, maybe once or twice a month. You know? Yeah. I have to turn them down a lot. Um, I, I just, uh, I'm like, I just can't. I, gotta, I only have so much vacation. You know, when I, I think the biggest thing I have ever done was on Outcast. Also down, yeah, I think I mentioned that before. That was down in South Carolina. That was a Ronald Kirkman um, new show, created show. And he, was, he was, of course, the Walking Dead creator. So that was a really cool project. They did two seasons. And the, the pilot. The, the pilot, I was standing for the lead character for four weeks. Pat, Patrick Fugit, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that actor. Uh, he was uh, the little kid on the movie Almost Famous. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's been in a bunch of other odds and ends over the years. Uh, so I was just full-time standing, actually, for the, for the pilot. You know, so I was working every day, and I had to take a leave, leave of absence from work. It all my vacation. Uh, I, I worked the weekends to try to make up, keep projects moving and stuff. Uh, yeah. That was that was the biggest complication with, uh, with the day job, but uh, I was like, I had to do it. They, they, I got selected to do it. I was like, I really can't say no to this. I'm not going to really do this. Yeah. It's not working full time, but it was kind of cool. Got to know the guy really, really well. Got some good pictures with him. So it's crazy. I have a big, I have a big catalog of all the photos from onset and, and actual final final footage. Also happy just collecting all that. Yeah, that is such a fun thing to get to do as a side job. A lot of people try to make a career out of it, but you got to do it just for fun. I did. You know, interestingly enough, I um, and it wasn't necessarily related or because of it, but I did a police ride along many years ago. It was actually a one at a raffle, and so I'm like, oh, okay, a police ride along. That sounds kind of fun. Let me. Um, 
we uh, you know, put down the hundred dollars or whatever it was for the raffle, and I wound up winning it. Um, I turn it turns out you don't have to pay to do the raffle. So, but I, I, I did the ride along and I liked it so much that I, I think I did about six or seven more. Actually. Yeah. I did a couple of years, past bunch of years, and I was doing this while I was filming. I was a police officer in a lot of them. You know, so when people say, are you doing this ride along just to uh, you know, get uh, you know, information on how to become a better actor as a police officer on film? You can see why you think that. Uh, so I thought that was kind of, kind of interesting because I, I, I'm tall and I have short hair. I guess that's why I was kind of, I guess I work on camera. Well, what's, so. in, what's interesting about that, Josh, is the fact that I could see you being a police officer. I could see you being a CIA agent, you know, <laughs> or a tech person for, you know, the FBI or the CIA or whatever. Well, yeah. the, the craziest role I've ever done, uh, I would say, I've done a lot of different things, everything from EMT, uh, paramedic, I played a Marine. Um, but I think the craziest thing I've done was I played an Amish woman. Oh, really? And that was a, that was on a show, uh, Banshee. And I, I did two different filming days, one uh, without beard, one with beard, and one with a big old beard. So I had a little hat on, big old beard. I I'm not think I, I sold that that role. In terms of really, <laughs> I, I used that feature on, on some of my uh, you know you know sites I'm, uh, I'm, I belong to. It just has like uh, an image. Why the hell are you using this image? What, what is this? Who is this? Why, why do you why do you look like that? Like that was when I was on set as Amish, and, and I played a Revolutionary War soldier. Those two pictures both um, receive a lot of uh, airtime amongst my friends. I think it's great. You've got your Halloween costumes all fixed up for you. You know what, what you can pull off. Like it feels like Halloween sometimes when I'm on set in these ridiculous outfits. Really, just, uh, I guess this was probably about a year ago. I, I played in the uh, movie film in Charlotte. It's called the 24th. It was a period piece. I played an officer. Or, uh, yeah, 1915. Uh, so way back in the day. You can imagine what that officer outfit looked like. I got some pictures of that as well. And, you know, that, that that movie has not been aired yet, um, and uh, one of the movie that hasn't been aired yet that I was in is uh, the Eyes of Tammy Faye. And it was also filmed here in Charlotte. So those are some of the more things I've done that you know I think with the pandemic it has uh, really delayed uh, the releases. So we'll see. If I heard about the Eyes of Tammy Faye and that that was coming. Um, so what role did you play in that? Were you doing reenactments? wasn't as good as some of the other things I've done, but it was nice I was in Charlotte, so I didn't have to drive anywhere. Um, yeah. So I got to meet Andrew Garfield, and, you know, he, he plays uh, Jim Baker in that, and Jessica Chastain, I got to meet her, so, you know, she plays Tammy. That, that was kind of cool. That was, that was, the scene I was in was a, I was the only extra in the scene. Tammy Faye was about to bust out the song. I think they had just been axed from the PTL, I think they had been fired. So she was doing her swan song or something for what was their home, their back and for their home. And then they had a cameraman there. Um, they were filming it for a live feed, I think, of the congregation. And that would be led by somebody else. The scene was out uh, of the camera crew filming her little song. And all I did was I just kind of walk out there while they were sitting down. And we put the clapper, take, take one, take two. So I kind of walk out there and kind of put the clapper in front of their face and turn the camera and walk out. <laughs> That's it. I did that about 30 times, uh, which was cool that I got to kind of stand up to the side and actually wanted to be seen. 
and you just watch it like I was going to sing it, but it wasn't. Uh, so it'll be, a, it'll be short and sweet, but it was, uh, we'll see if uh, just the skin, just the clapper itself, or my whole body actually. Is okay. the they had about four cameras, you know, looking at the clapper in me during that scene, you know, one close-up of Tammy, one close-up of Jim, one wide of all of us, and then close-up of the clapper. So you never know what else they use. Yeah, that's interesting because when they do do filming, they do a lot of different camera angles and, um, like you said, close up and farther away, wide yeah. shot, and you just don't quite know what what's yeah. going to be the cut the director wants. Yeah. It amazes me as an extra, like, there's times that I'm just right in front of the camera and this is just perfect. And I got, like, the camera people, like, uh, you know, starting the scene on my face. And then maybe I'll zoom out and see what the actor coming in or whatever it is. You know, I'm just assured of wonderful screen time. I see the, the final cut. I mean, it's completely blurry. Or it's not even there. Or it's the same. <laughs> you know, a good example of that was uh, I, worked, I worked the show Shots Fired. Did you see that? That was uh, on the uh, Fox. So it was probably the first national TV show I did uh, on actual, you know, free channels. And I was, at, I was filmed here in Charlotte. It was a, it was a mini-series. It was just a, just to be one season. I mean, uh, I played a police officer many times, but and I, it's probably some of the best screen time I've gotten on any of these shows. It's probably even better than Owen, but uh, it's just that not many, not many people saw it. But one, a couple of people did call me just, just to say uh, they think they saw me. And uh, in, in one scene, I was uh, like standing in front of the police station, the fake police station. They had the camera like way across the street. There was some action of some reporters getting out of the car and walking up into the police station. But the camera was so far away, I was like, ah, this is ridiculous. Why am I even here? It was really hot that day. I was miserable. <laughs> I want to go. Sure enough, I literally the the opening of like the the, the, the fourth episode or something of the season, and the credits were still rolling. There's my face, and I'm just sitting there, kind of holding my police belt, you know, kind of looking around. And there's my face. <laughs> you know, the, the, the press of people were, were walking up the sidewalk into the into the police building. I'm like, man, I, I never thought. That was going to get like some of the best screen time. You, just, you never know. That's kind of the, the fun part about being an extra. You know, it can be great, it can be nothing. They can have you doing a cross. There might be a restaurant scene, they need just a bunch of people crossing like outside the window. Yeah. And, and some people are crossing like outside the window on the other side of the street. <laughs> yeah. Just a populated scene, make it look like this. But, you know, as an extra, you know, pretty much it. The certain scenes you were just being used for the proper recipe. You're just, just going to collect a little small check and you know, for the day because you're not going to be seen on TV. <laughs> 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 Sometimes, you know, that's what it's all about. You know, somebody lose some, so that's why you need to do a bunch to make the get good odds. You know. One day, yeah, I'm going to do a speaking role. You just never know. I think that's for my daughter, though. That's the real deal. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Your daughter's got the acting bug too now. Is it from watching Dad oh, get to do some cool stuff? She gets so angry now um, when I go up and do a, a, a role for, for a movie or a show. Uh, she's like, what are you doing now? You know, why can't I do it? She's in school and we both have to go. Uh, uh, nothing can really work out. I did get her on set once for Outcasts. Uh, I actually cut the scenes and maybe use it in the final cut. Um, but uh, she um, started... Uh, Taking some of these little acting classes at the uh, Acting Out Studio. Um, they have a, a place down here in South Charlotte. And the, you know, did, did some camps. You know, did, uh, did some improv camps, um, some theater camps. And she started kind of liking it. I'm like, okay, well, let's just 
take this a little further, we got her to like acting one, acting two class. After she did uh, an improv class, uh, one of the instructors recommended she try out for the improv team. And she did that and got into the performance team. She had been doing that for a couple of years now and loves improv. I think one day, I think she had some friends in some of those classes that had agents. I was doing some things and she just kept on bugging me about you know, wanting to get an agent. I was like, I never got an agent, you know. I just used a casting agency, uh, but that's different from my actoring stuff. So, okay, let's uh, see what, what's going on. And I looked up, you know, online, you know, a couple of different places. I'm like, let's go over to Evolution, which is a little casting agency up in Utah. And we roll up, not knowing really what we'll be casting call, basically seeing if they want to accept any new clients. So just a bunch of people just show They just basically told us up front that, like, most of you, you know, we're not going to hire you uh, via, we're, we're not going to accept you as a client. We just have so many clients already, you know, we're just looking for a new, uh, you know, new talent that might, you know, help us, you know, basically make money, you know, we yeah. want different people or people with some pretty good skills, and he's like, you know, if you don't have a whole lot of acting experience, you know, there's a good chance you're not going to get accepted here, you know, we have that many clients already. She had to do a little monologue, uh, you know, a couple lines of something, I think it was a commercial. We went down there into the office, I was her turn, there was probably a hundred people there that day. Did her thing and came out. Like, I was like, did you do well? She's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. So I was kind of nervous. About an hour later, you know, they're like, okay, uh, we're going to do uh, the first cut. I'm going to say all these names. Your name, you've got to leave. And so they, they said all these names, and, you know, half the people were cut. They're about to do a second cut. And they're like, okay, this is going to be the second cut. But before we do the second cut, there are, well, I think they initially said there's going to be, a, um, I guess, after the second cut, they're going to keep those people around a little bit longer, maybe do some more interviewing, see if there's something there. But before they did that, they're like, okay, these three people that are going to get on that contract, they, they named my, my daughter. Wow. And I was like, holy moly, I wasn't expecting that. And so she got a contract really right off the bat going there, you know. Well, I guess only three people that got the automatic contract. Some other people probably did later after they had a hang around. But um, I was like, maybe, like, maybe there's something there. And so uh, she does have an agency now. Yeah. Yeah. We get headshots. You know, we had to do the whole thing. We had to get her on all these acting sites. Uh, there's a lot of them out there right? in the whole new world. There's a couple uh, interviews, auditions, but, you know, with the, with the, with the virus, it just uh, it killed it all. You know? So she had yeah. probably a few months. Before things started getting weird, uh, she was doing some auditions. Most of which were just, you know, uh, using my camera, my phone, you know, and you know, not really all that uh, sophisticated. And we wound up taking her to one of the acting out studios where they have, uh, we pay a little bit of money and I'll film you and do a little monologue just to have something to send to people. We did that, and but it was kind of expensive. I'm like, oh, I keep doing this. And we kind of bought a little home studio where uh, we got a tripod for the camera, a microphone for the, the phone, got a bunch of studio lights. And so, uh, we started doing some pretty, I'd say, very, very good you know, auditions. Um, she, uh, she really did well, and she looked good, you know, on the camera. You know, kind of looked professional. Uh, yeah, so there was a lot of stuff out there. Um, she just uh, applied for a tax layer for actually from Charlotte. So yeah. Yeah, she can call back on that. Unlike my minimum wage actor and stuff, <laughs> stuff that she's going after is I, I can't make in a you know, a year of doing any of those uh, extra stuff. So it's, it's a whole different world and a whole different competitive world. I'm telling her, like, you're going to get mostly failures here. You know, and when, they, when they want to roll for you or for somebody like you, they're going to look at 100 other people. You have to stand out. You know, if you can, you know, so it's tough. She's also kind of excited about it. She uh, wants to get in front of the camera so that she, she 
patient. I think I think if it ever does happen, yeah, I think the the rest of the history, I think she's gonna she's gonna get to a good she just got that person. You're a proud dad, I can tell. Now when you talk about it. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet, but it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna have a part for it wherever these things are going to be filmed. Yeah, it could be a multi-day shoot. I mean, she did an audition for a movie in a Disney show. Yeah. She didn't get it. But if she did, I'm thinking, what would we do? That's wonderful. That's wonderful. It's wonderful that you know enough about it that you can help her. That you've had some exposure yeah. yourself. So that's really cool. Yeah. She's got a talent for it, apparently. I think, I think you gotta have sort of some general ability. Interesting stuff you've been talking about about both your careers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, you know, when you think back of the the different things you've done in engineering and with acting and just with life, what do you think's created the most growth for you on a personal level? Uh, well, certainly, certainly engineering, and certainly, um, you know, that that's it's challenging that stuff is, you know, it's uh, you know, kind of keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Probably developed me the most, you know. Um, act, act, you know, being an expert and stuff, uh, probably, get, I'd say, probably got me more out of my shell. Uh, yeah. Nervous and different into some kind of nerve wracking situations. Uh, you know, um, yeah, so, you know, personal growth. And, and, you know, definitely 20 years of engineering, uh, I, I would say. Uh, you don't think of engineers as being people, for the most part, the majority of engineers being people that are good at public speaking or thinking on their feet, and like you said, being able to do improv. So it's not that that's not a skill set that you can't learn. It's just not associated with someone who's an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> When you're thinking about that, that the public that happened for engineering, yeah. and were, uh, <laughs> yeah. public meetings that's a that's a test. <laughs> Having a public <laughs> meeting with 30 angry property owners <laughs> yelling at you. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not generally happy about it. The ones that are happy are not there. That's they don't true. Care. The ones that are angry are there because they are angry. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I've, I've seen you. I've seen you uh, under pressure and thinking on your feet on more than one occasion, and you do pretty good with it. <laughs> so I try not to be mean. You can't, you can't be mean to them, you know, uh, no. as much as you want to be. <laughs> be, be. You have to be kind, whether they're kind or not. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to say, uh, you know, doing being behind the, the camera on a lot of these shows, um, you know, I, I was a lot more nervous doing public meetings uh, back in the day. Yeah. Uh, which is just out. Um, you know, I think that would definitely, definitely helps. Not necessarily make me better, but just a little comfortable being out there with people. Yeah. Um, when you look at other people, what do you see personally as successful 
What do you think it takes to achieve success? Um, you know, growing up with my father, you know, you know I always thought it was sort of stuff to be a success, you know, just uh, you know, just work, work ethic and whatnot. Um, you know, he always worked so ridiculously hard, you know, with his various various different careers. I, I, I kind of followed that, you know, path, especially as I started going into college. And as I mentioned, it always puts me in a certain direction, you know, whether it be in the um, But I, I figured, you know, if I could kind of do what he did or had the success with it, follow me. For the most part, I would say it has. Things be different or better, maybe. You know, it's even worse. Hard, hard work and consistency. I've grown up with the, sort of the idea that, you know, you're kind of wasting time for nothing. And I, I, I feel guilty, you know, when I'm sitting there. <laughs> I, need to, I need to be doing something. I need to, like, you know, go build some fences. You know. Work on the weekends, you know, if there's some stuff to do on the weekend. You know, so, uh, for better or worse, it doesn't really make the family happy. But, uh, I don't like to relax. Yeah. yeah. You know, I run a lot, so I uh, sometimes that helps. I didn't realize you were a runner, too. That's awesome. Well, I do mostly trail running. Uh, and there's a park nearby, uh, so I usually run bike trails. Yeah. Uh, because uh, it's just fun, You're, especially in the summertime. It's, uh, it's so hot outside, you can't get away from the sun. Uh, it's like, you know, three, four mile courses uh, are really, really early and kind of fun. You've know, got to focus you know, so you don't think about being utter pain. Running at these type of temperatures, uh, you're always trying to focus on tripping and falling. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's something to say about, and it's just easier on your legs too, running around the, in the dirt, you know, uh, you know, if you have to hop over the logs and stuff uh, along the way. But um, I think running is kind of fun. I've done uh, a couple of trail races at the Whitewater Center. Uh, you make decisions, you prioritize, uh, 
um, whether it's family or you know your, your job or whatnot, you know, it's going to dictate, you know, I think certain superficies um, in a perfect world, you know, everybody would you know, reach their dream. You know. It's interesting that you say time when you're someone who you don't like to waste time. I love that that you said right, you have right. a hard time sitting down in front of the TV. You'd rather be actually accomplishing yeah, yeah. something. Yeah, whether it's a dream or not, uh, you can get behind the camera and, and doing that background work. Um, you know, I guess uh, you don't want to be on TV, so it's the the type of time that that requires, you know, really stressful. I mean, it wasn't easy. You know, it's currently easy, but. Uh, to, to make that happen. Most people probably couldn't, you know, that had a, you know, maybe a slightly less flexible job. You know, I always, you know, we worked somewhere so long, we had certain, certain flexibilities and that ability to just not go to work, you know, any day, you know, next day, tomorrow, because it just came up. You know, what to do, a lot of professions, no warning, that hasn't at least allowed me to reach that fund. Um, but it's I think time is a time's a killer sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think time is a dream killer for people. And you're right. Mm -hmm. We have to prioritize. We have we all have no. priorities. We have to prioritize. So I yeah. I appreciate you coming on today and talking about everything, Josh. No, I really enjoyed my, my, my pleasure. Yeah. I wonder if I enjoy too much. No, no. I, I enjoy hearing about everything that you've been up to. I do have a follow-up uh, thing here I want to ask you. What would you like to have as contact information for people to get in touch with you if there's anyone that wants to talk to you about what you've done or has questions for you? Do you do you want me to give a, a specific email? How do you... Sure, you got my, uh, my AOL, my old school email. <laughs> I saw your AOL email and I was like, does anybody use AOL anymore? What's up with that? I like retro and see, I'd say for about five years ago, people kind of made fun of me for a while. Even maybe 10 years ago, they still made fun of me. But but now, they're not making fun of me as much anymore. And they're like, that's kind of cool. What's retro? Old school, like Yahoo or Hotmail. You know, it's like... Uh, I think they just look at it and don't know what the hell it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, AOL, what's that? Yeah, that is probably true. I would say uh, to the younger generation, uh, my daughter certainly wouldn't have any. Everybody knows Gmail. That's pretty much the yeah. only thing the younger generation now uses. I mean, can you even get email any other way other than Gmail? I don't know who cares. <laughs> I need a tech person to help me out. Do you know how to do some I'm of that stuff? Maybe I'll, <laughs> maybe I'm I need sure, to, I'm sure it's I, I, Oh, Lord. Learning to do the audio mixing like to kill me. That's fine. <laughs> no, it's the fun hobby Yeah. Is that all? That's all I've got for you. For more information about our guests and about this podcast, you can go to BeAlifeWellLived.com.